Well, I do want to take a moment to thank our elders for giving me the privilege of speaking to the men uh, at the conference and the opportunity to speak to you uh, this morning on this topic, which is uh, very dear to me and a great blessing to me to be able to take time to contemplate it once again. I would ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And follow along as I read verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. And on the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on it he rested from all his work which God had created in making it. Let's once again seek the face of our creator and redeemer God for his help this morning. Let's pray. Our God, you manifested in the creation of this world amazing power, amazing kindness. And now you have preserved us to bring us to this day. Give us, and you've given us the opportunity to praise you. You've given us the opportunity to hear your word. So come, help us. Bring your word home to our hearts. Make it clear, understandable, applicable. And most of all, lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, that all eyes would be drawn unto him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The topic for the conference has been delighting in the Lord's day. And the uh, focus of, of the conference has been going through the scriptures to seek to understand uh, this matter of the Sabbath day and the Lord's day. And in one sense, they're the same. In another sense, they're different. And so you've, some of you may have been asking, well, you keep talking about the Sabbath. You keep talking about the Sabbath. But, and the seventh day, we just read in Genesis. But we meaning on the first day, how did that happen? Well, now's your chance to hear something of, I believe, the scriptures teach in answer to that question. We looked, first of all, at God's institution for man's life, or we have this morning begun with that in Genesis chapter 2. God created a day, uh, created time, and in that time, he took six days to, to create the world, and the seventh was a day in which he rested. We've read about that. That was an institution that was made for man. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we read where God codifies ten foundational principles of morality for his people, he takes and summarizes these moral principles, which are universal, going back clear to the time of, of Adam and are in effect through to the end of the age. And we read there of this fourth commandment, as it's called, beginning in verse 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. 
In it you shall do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, or your cattle or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If you turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, at the, in this book known as Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, that is, it's the repetition of many principles for the people of God now that have come through the wilderness and are about to go into the land of Canaan. And we have again this summarization of these ten principles, ten commandments. We read in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, "...observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy." As Yahweh your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male slave or your female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who is within your gates, so that your male slave and your female slave may rest as well as you." You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And you'll notice there's a slight change there from Exodus 20 to now Deuteronomy chapter 5, in which he's changed from talking about creation and the six days and the one day of rest to talking about the fact that they were delivered from bondage in Egypt. And so we saw in those two passages, God's instruction for covenant life for his old covenant people of God. And then we come to Isaiah chapter 58. If you turn with me there, Isaiah chapter 58, another one of the key texts which we looked at yesterday, Isaiah chapter 58 this chapter in which God is dealing with the hypocrisy of his people and seeking to call them back to repentance and to act in a way which is pleasing to God, he ends this chapter with this restatement, prophetic restatement, as it were, of the fourth commandment. He states it, and then he gives additional promises to it. And here we have instruction for covenant renewal. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own desire on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of Yahweh honorable, and honor it by not doing your own ways, by not finding your own desire, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in Yahweh, and will make and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the inheritance of Jacob your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. In the adult class, we began looking at instructions for new covenant life. Taking these principles from these Ten Commandments, as particularly the Fourth Commandment, going clear back to creation, the creation ordinance, the Fourth Commandment given to us twice, the restatement of it by the prophet. We've now come to look at how Jesus in the uh, New Testament has record of him faithfully observing the Sabbath, and then also how he fearlessly cleansed the Sabbath. The Sabbath had been encrusted with many uh, 
uh, laws and regulations from the Jews, from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees. They had built this structure around it so that the heart of the, of the, the commandment had been lost in many ways, and it was just so coded and, and hidden. Jesus comes and with fearlessness cleanses that away. We come to the third point then this morning in this topic of dealing with Jesus. Jesus not only faithfully observed the Sabbath and fearlessly cleansed the Sabbath, Jesus forever altered the Sabbath. Jesus forever altered the Sabbath. Now, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We looked at Matthew chapter 12 and these incidents uh, around the, the battles for the, the Lord's Day, for the Sabbath uh, among the Jews uh, in Jesus' day. And we come, we'll look at it in chapter 2 of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, and I'll read through verse 28. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And it wasn't that it was stealing, it was that it was doing work on the Sabbath. They viewed this as uh, kind of a, of a harvesting which should not be done. And he said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry, how he entered the house of God around the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, some of you come here today, you may say, well, man, we sure had a lot of Bible. We just, just got lots of texts that we just went through, and it'd be nice to sit and talk about those. Well, you'll have to listen to some recorded messages to get all the details in that. But, but I just want to say to you, that, you know, this topic of how we spend our time on this day, commonly known as Sunday in our calendar, and what I believe is better called the Lord's Day Sabbath, or the Christian Sabbath, uh, is rooted in Scripture. This isn't something that this particular church or a particular strain of churches came up with. This is something which God has given to us in His Word. And so we want to understand from God what He requires of us, that we might be pleasing unto Him. And our point now is that Jesus forever altered the Sabbath. And I start with this passage because in this passage, we note, first of all, Jesus' teaching sets the stage for the change of the day. Jesus' teaching sets the stage for the change of the day. The Sabbath, as we saw it in creation, came at the end after six days, one day of rest. That was the picture then. That was what was drawn upon in giving us the Sabbath in the fourth commandment. And uh, whether it's Deuteronomy or Exodus, but in particular in Exodus, highlights the fact that it's the seventh day. And for the Jews, that was the, what we know as Saturday, the seventh day of the week. So then why are we meeting on 
Sunday. Why are we meeting on the first day of the week? Well, follow along with me as we look at this passage. We looked at it in the adult class, and so the first few points will be fairly, fairly quick. I'm not going to go over them in detail because they're things I already said. Notice, first of all, the offending activity identified. There was a necessary uh, act of preparing food. They're away from home. They're on their way. They're on their way to the synagogue. They're hungry. And so they glean, which was a, a legitimate practice for the needy in the day of Jesus. And then there's the charge leveled against Jesus and his disciples. You are working on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. You're harvesting. You're threshing. You're preparing food. This should not be done based on their root rules of this huge fence that they had built around or over the commandment that God had given. And then there's an obvious biblical answer in this particular passage. He just, we just have the, the record of what he said about David, how David was helped with food and a Levitical ceremonial law, not the Sabbath, not part of the Ten Commandments, but a Levitical ceremonial law that the bread was just for the priests to eat. And this is the bread that was sitting on the table, the 12 loaves that were put out every Sabbath. They were to be taken away and fresh loaves were putting it, put out. And those old ones were to be eaten by the priests. It was part of their holy portion, part of their holy food. And on that particular occasion, David comes to, to, the, to the tabernacle and he is given this bread. Jesus says, if you knew that that was done for David, then you wouldn't have brought any charges against us. People are hungry. God wants people to be fed. He's not, he's not a mean God. We can eat on the Sabbath. Then the fourth point is the one I want to focus on now. And it's the addition to what we saw in the adult class. And that is Jesus clarifying comment. Jesus makes a clarifying comment. Having made all this in his conclusion, he's going to make two important statements. And this is the first one in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now notice with me what Jesus does here. Jesus is talking to these Pharisees who had taken the law and latched on to this reality that there were these requirements. Thou shalt not on this day. And Isaiah highlights that, says, take off your work boots, take off your sneakers, take off your, your shoes from the week when you come to step on my day. Don't bring them in here. And they latched on to that and they built all these rules so that that could not happen. And Jesus says, I want you to go back with me to creation. I want you to consider the creation ordinance. What God put in place when he created man. Jesus wants them to understand or remember the purpose for which God made the Sabbath in the very beginning of time. And something that's here in the Greek that I, don't, I haven't found an English translation that really picks up on this is it literally says the Sabbath was made for the man. And I believe he's done that on purpose because he wants us to think about what God did for Adam as the heavenly father who has his earthly royal son. He wants his son to imitate his pattern. I work six days, you're going to work in the garden. Six days. I rested one, 
you rest one. He blessed it and sanctified that day for Adam. Now, he did it for Adam, and, and, and Jesus' words here make clear, too, that he did it for Adam as the head of the human race. It wasn't just for Adam. It wasn't it just to give Adam something to do, and then once he fell, it all went away and it didn't exist anymore. He did it for all of humanity. And that's what we see here. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God didn't say, you know what, I've got this day out there, and I better fill it with somebody. I'll give it all kinds of rubric, and I'm going to put somebody in there so that, no, no. He says, here's my man, my son. I want him to have a day. He gave him a gift of one day in seven. Jesus' comment indicates that God did this for Adam, but he did it for the whole of mankind. The Sabbath was instituted to bring benefit to men, not to oppress them. It was the Jewish leaders who had built all these rules that were oppressing men even on the Sabbath. By pointing back to creation, Jesus highlights the original design. God designed it to be a blessing. It says in Genesis 2 and verse 3, God blessed the seventh day. He didn't do that for himself. He's outside of time. He's only acting in time because he has creatures that he's created to live in time. And he's doing something in six days and one so that they will know what their schedule is like six days and one. So he blessed it. Why? For them. That is, just like he blessed the animals, just like he blessed Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Animals cannot be fruitful and multiply. Humans cannot be fruitful and multiply without God's direct blessing on those efforts. And so it is that God said, do this. And it's as though he said, and I will empower you to accomplish what I've asked you to do. And so with the day of blessing, this seventh day, he blessed it, says it's going to be a day in which I have designed that you will receive blessing from this day. And he goes on, he says he sanctified it. Well, what was that? He made it holy. That is, he set it apart. It was never meant to be like every other day. It was always meant from its creation. And remember, God not only created the universe and the space, he created time. This timeless being who has been from all eternity is outside of time. And he created time. And so he has ordered that time. So he set this one, this day, this 24-hour period aside for mankind. God blessed it and sanctified it. And this is what we saw when we looked at Isaiah 58, 13, and 14 where those promises are brought to the forefront by the prophet. God promised that those who truly keep his Sabbath will know victory, will have intimate communion with the living God, and enjoy the fullness of covenant blessing, and will even anticipate a richer and fuller inheritance. The promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a piece of land in the Middle East, which is just a 
faint picture of the ultimate land that would be given to his people called heaven, where there really will be a land flowing with milk and honey. That is, a land that is rich and blessed with all that we would ever need, and having no tears there, and nothing of death left in it. The goal of God's word God's words was not to turn them from their form, excuse me, the goal of God's words in Isaiah was to turn them from their formalistic, hypocritical, merely external religious experiences and activities to actually engaging with the true and living God. And that's why he gave these promises on this day. He restates the command in the fourth commandment, and he adds these wonderful promises. But remember how he did when he restated them. And I'm just giving a little more, you men who are at the conference, this will be reiteration for you. For you who weren't at the conference, this is filling in the gaps, some of the gaps for you. He restates the commandments of the fourth commandment, not to work, in such a way as to help us to see exactly what he's meaning that we should give up. We're to give up our everyday, regular, workday activities and our regular, everyday pleasures in order to commune with God. In order to enjoy not just pleasures on a level of God's common grace to all men, but on a level far higher than that, which he called exquisite delights, in having a day where we meet with the true and living God, in having a day where we will be blessed by that God as he meets with us. And so, this clarifying comment by Jesus puts us all the way back in creation in order to try to pick up all of that richness of blessedness on this one day And to bring that forward, I would say, through Isaiah's words to expand it and help us to see that this is a day, he says to them, that was made for man. Excuse me. That was made to bless him and for him to find rich blessing. This isn't to say, as I've already said, and I'll say again, that there isn't any labor or effort associated with the Lord's Day. But the efforts associated with the Lord's Day should be, and for those who know God, generally tend to be, joyful expenditures of effort and energy in delighting in God. Well, there's the introductory statement. And with that statement, Jesus exposes the Jewish faulty thinking. You think it's just do this, don't do that, don't do this, do this, and everything's going to be the way it should be. It's not just a matter of do's and don'ts. It's not a matter of trying to set up a day with all kinds of rules that you can preserve it. Jesus doesn't point them back to Exodus and Deuteronomy for the fact that he doesn't want to emphasize so much the rules as he wants to emphasize the blessedness of the day. The rules are all designed that they might enjoy blessedness. God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? So that blessedness of marriage union would be preserved. God gives us rules to preserve the blessings and joys of life. We do that in this world. 
Right? We put lines on the road, double yellow lines, and decide the rule is drive on the right-hand side in this country. Why? Because it wouldn't be very happy to drive on the other side if everybody else was on that side. It's a matter of preserving order, preserving joy, preserving blessing, keeping life going. This is why God has given these rules. He says it's to preserve the blessedness of the day. And so Jesus roots Sabbath, his Sabbath observance, and what should be the present Sabbath observance of the day of Jesus, is she roots it in the creation ordinance. It's not to dismiss the commandment, but the commandment rests on the creation ordinance. Dalma says, this saying of Jesus does make clear that the Sabbath is a gift. Remember I said, I give them my Sabbaths and a blessing for man, and therefore something different from a legal regulation whose goal lies simply in formal observance. Just as with other commandments, Jesus blew the dust off. And here I put in my own words. Jesus scraped the pharisaical barnacles off the law. So here too, in a very special way, he restored the fourth commandment to its original beauty and luster. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what that statement says. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. But Jesus is not done. Because Jesus then adds to this a climactic pronouncement. This had, must have just, I don't know, stunned these people that were, he was speaking to. Uh, startled them, amazed them. Uh, next to Jesus saying, I am, and the people falling down in the, in the garden, I just imagine these people hearing this and going, whoa, what did he just say? Because he's going to say, consequently, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I can't tell you how many people try to write about this Son of Man and wrestle with who this is. And they try to say, well, maybe this is this person, or maybe it's that person, or maybe it's this. If you read the Gospels, who is the Son of Man? I mean, Jesus' most favorite statement or title for himself is Son of Man. It's pretty obvious this is a messianic title of Jesus. He's speaking about himself in the third person. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, God's special day, God's holy day, God's gift to mankind. Jesus is Lord of this day. Lord means master, ruler over, one who gives direction to. To be more specific, Jesus is saying he is Lord, master over Yahweh's day. Again, for those of you who don't know, if you, read, if you were following in your Bible, you saw capital L, capital O-R-D, 
and that was Lord, that's the name Yahweh or Jehovah. That's actually the name of God, and our Bibles have translated it that way, following some traditions. I won't go into that, but that's why I'm using the word Yahweh. I'm using it for that Lord. Lord, on the other hand, here is the word kurios, which is the Greek word for master or Lord. And it's the word that was used in the Greek Septuagint to translate Yahweh. So again, that's how it all fits together. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus is saying he is Lord of Yahweh's day. His words anticipate John's words in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, where he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Ah, so now you know where I got this term. I, we didn't come up with this on our own. This isn't something reformed tradition. This is right out of our Bibles. The Lord's day. So remember now, what are we seeing? Jesus is here wrestling with the Pharisees over the reality of the Sabbath. And he's tried to address their false teaching through looking at the Old Testament. And then he comes with this powerful statement and says, the Sabbath was made for man. Let's get it clear off all of your barnacles. Go back to what it was designed for, to be a blessing for mankind. My day that I give to them which I order so that it will be a blessing to man. And then Jesus says, and I'm Lord on that day. I'm Lord on that day. I am the one who created the day. Our Bibles tell us that Yahweh, or Elohim, God, is the one who created and rested on the seventh day. That fact which is included in the fourth commandment, as we've seen. It was a regular weekly day over which Yahweh exercised full authority. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as Yahweh your God commanded you. You are not to do any work on Yahweh's day. Do not do your normal business or pursue your normal, regular, everyday pleasures. Yahweh says it's designed for God's people to gather together for holy convocation. That's just a fancy way of saying for worship. To come together to worship as a corporate body. Worshiping Yahweh, hearing his word, offering up our praises and sacrifices to him. It was a day in the Old Testament. It was a day set aside for the people to especially and intensely focus their attention on Yahweh. They were to delight in Yahweh. It was a day for them to learn about Yahweh and to learn that they were those who were Yahweh's special people. So what is Jesus doing? The Son of Man is Lord on Yahweh's day. We could read it this way. The Son of Man is Yahweh. I am God. This is my day, is what he's saying. He's identifying himself with Yahweh. He is declaring that the Sabbath is that day which he made. 
and blessed and sanctified in creation. Do you remember what what John wrote in John chapter 1 when it says the word was with God and the word was God? It goes on to say, all things came into being by him. That is the word. Who's the word? Jesus. It's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So in other words, we could read it this way. All things came into being by Jesus and apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Oh, so this seventh day was given to man by Jesus? Yes. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Paul wrote to the Colossians, for by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions, rulers, authorities, all things, all things are created. Now listen to this, by him, for him. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I created it by me. I created it. For me, that is, to bring glory to me. It was created for man by Jesus. And in fact, Jesus is the one who was there at Mount Sinai that gave the law to Moses. He is the one who is at the right hand, excuse me, at the, who has the right, excuse me, he is the one who has the right to define what should be done and shouldn't be done on this day, what this day is to look like. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He defines its purpose. He defines how it's supposed to be used. Basically, he's telling them, and, and, and I don't want to say cheeky, because Jesus was never cheeky, but he sure is standing right in front of them with a whole lot of boldness and saying to them, you're telling me how the Sabbath should be run? I created this. I've ordered this. I've been behind this ever since it came into being. And I'm still Lord of the Sabbath. And you're going to tell me how it ought to be handled? I think you've got this backwards. He's declaring to them that he is the one who imparts blessing to his people on that day. He is the one who grants victory to his people on that day. He is the one who brings covenant blessings to his people on that day. He is the one who is going to commune with his people on that day. For where two or three are gathered together, who is there in their midst? Son of man. He is the one who walks among the candlesticks. He is the one who is going to shower grace upon his people. He is the one who sits at the right hand of God, interceding for his people. He is the one who is in charge of all of this day, declaring that he is to be the focus and his word is to be heard on this day. He is the one who is to be lifted up so that all men will be drawn unto him. He is the central theme of this day. It's his creative work, his redemptive work that is central on this day. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He, my friends, is the exquisite delight of this day. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing out on the best part of the day, the best part of the week. And if you don't like this day, you better ask yourself, 
what's my view about Jesus? Because he's Lord. Now, he's Lord of every day, right? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's Lord over everything. But he says in a very focused way, this is my day. It's all about me. I am your exquisite delight. Communing with me, having your sins forgiven by me, being accepted by me, being justified in me, being united to me. He didn't say to the Pharisees, what are you all upset about? This thing's passing away, I'm going to be done with it in a few days. He didn't say to them, let's just take the commandments out and make it nice and sweet. He, in, he inexorably, he intertwines himself with this day. This is Jesus' day. That's why this passage is so central to our understanding what's going on today. This lays the groundwork for all the rest that we're going to see in this sermon this morning and in, and in the Word of God in the New Testament. Jesus' teaching sets the stage for an understanding of why the day has changed. Second point. That was all point number one. Second point. The activities of Jesus after his resurrection emphasize that the day has changed. The activities of Jesus, with his resurrection and beyond, I should say, emphasize that the day has changed. We read about Jesus after the resurrection meeting with his disciples. We read about Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. Uh, meeting Jesus right outside the tomb. She's gone to the tomb, she's distraught, it's empty, and she meets Jesus. Her heart is immediately taken up with the one that she loved and we come to see, uh, to spend time with, and she meets Jesus. Well, what day is it? The first day of the week. He has just been raised from the dead. He is there. It's the first day of the week he meets Mary Magdalene. We read in Luke chapter 24. Two disciples walking along the road. They're grieving. They're wrestling. What has happened? The one that we thought was going to redeem us and set us free from the Romans. He's been crucified by the Romans. Now what are we going to do? You just hear them kind of wrestling. And they're just, they're, they're at odds. And then a third man comes along and asks them, what's going on? What, are you the only one in Jerusalem and you don't know what's happening? Do you get the humor of that? He's the center of everything that's happening. And he's like, Oh, you slow faith. <laughs> Let me tell you. And he opens up the scriptures and begins to tell them about himself from the Old Testament. And their hearts are strangely warmed. Their hearts are warmed having walked with him. And they've got to find the other disciples. What day was that? The same day as Mary Magdalene. The first day of the week. It's mentioned in Luke chapter 24 that Peter saw him. Would have been on the same day, that first day of the week. We read in John chapter 20, verse 19 and verse 26 of the disciples meeting in the upper room. John 20 and verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came 
and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. First day of the week. And then, you remember, sad old doubting Thomas was not there. Eight days later, in Jewish counting, starting with the Sabbath, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, next Sabbath, or excuse me, next first day of the week. It's first, not the, not the last day. It's the first day of the week. Eight days, back to the first day of the week again. Eight days later, Thomas being with them, we read in John 20 and verse 26, Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. On the first day of the week, the Lord of glory comes out of the tomb, is raised from the dead, and starts meeting with his disciples on the first day of the week. Now, we know that there was 40 days and there were other meetings that he had with them, but those aren't the ones the scriptures highlight for us. The scriptures highlight the first day of the week. He was in the tomb on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. And as many a man has written, he went into the tomb on the Jewish Sabbath. And the Jewish Sabbath went into the tomb, and what came out on the resurrection day was the Lord's day. The seventh day was put away, the first day. Why would that be the case? Well, we'll come to that in a minute. Because we go on, and my third point, the recorded events of the apostles and some of their writings showed that the day has changed. So Jesus' resurrection activity shows, emphasizes the day has changed to the first day when he started meeting with his disciples. He began highlighting that day, being raised on that day, meeting with them on the first day. And then the recorded events, events in the book of Acts and some of the writings of the apostles show as well that the day has changed. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. You know the day, that's the day of Pentecost. That's the day when they, all the Jews came to Jerusalem. Fifty days after the Sabbath, on which Jesus' body remained in the tomb. Fifty days later, that's when Pentecost happened, because that's what Leviticus tells us. Here's what Leviticus 23 says. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. Sabbath, one, two, three, four. That's 49 days. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. What day is that? That's the first day of the week. I haven't got time to go through all the first and eighth days in, in the Old Covenant law that, that picture these kinds of feasts and meetings with, uh, with, in the Old Testament that picture what's going to happen with Jesus. But he says that but Pentecost was this 50th day in the tomb. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, seven times. 50th day, the day of Pentecost. What happens? The Spirit is poured out on the church. And they're proclaiming the great works of God. 3,000 are saved. If we look through the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, it turned to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. So kind of get you moving a little bit here because you've been listening to me for a few minutes now. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. 
Again, when we see the church gathering in the book of Acts, and when the, when the day is actually identified as to when they met, right? So when it gets explicit, here's what we read. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, and this is Paul in Troas, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day. That would have been the second day of the week. And he prolonged his message until midnight. When did he meet with the church? He wanted to get there to catch up with them so he could meet with the church. When did he know they would meet? I mean, there was no, there was no um, flash mob texting. Paul's in town. <laughs> right? That didn't happen. Not possible. Paul says, oh, wait, 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 wait. First day of the week's coming. I'll, they'll be meeting. Let's, let's find them. Let's go there. Gets to Troas, first day of the week, they are meeting, and he joins them and preaches to them. When he's writing to the church of Corinth, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 16, he's giving them some directions. And in giving them some directions, he's seeking to help them understand how they should handle the, the offering that they're supposed to be collecting. 1 Corinthians 16. Verses 1 and 2. Notice what he says again. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to set aside something. Why didn't he just say, whenever you happen to come by, drop something off? Why didn't he say, well, whenever you happen to be there, gather together, then bring your money? He says, no, the first day of the week is the day when the church has met. And he knew that they would be meeting. So he says, on the first day of every week, bring your offerings. Why do we take offerings? Oh, we just thought it would be a good way to collect money. No, the Bible says this is the way we did. Part of our worship is bringing our, our sacrifices, our offerings to the Lord. And that's why we collect an offering. It's part of our worship. So on the first day of the week, when the church gathered together, he said, that's what you're supposed to do. The recorded events. Now you say, well, there's not very many. No, but where they're explicit, it's always the first day of the week. That brings me to D. We've looked at Jesus' words setting the stage or the foundation, the activities of Jesus in the resurrection and the meetings that followed, highlighting this day, this change of the day, the recorded events, the explicit events recorded in the book of Acts and even in 1 Corinthians. We see the first day being highlighted. Now the sharpened focus of the day. I don't know what else to call it. But the sharpened focus of the day. Now, again, I've said this things again, but I'm going to just repeat it so we're all on the same page again, so you know what I'm thinking. So under the old covenant on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, they held holy convocation. They came together to worship, and they were to commemorate God's creative activity, right? Exodus 20, six days he created and rested on the seventh day. And then Deuteronomy chapter 5 highlights the fact that not only are they to remember the creative activity of God and his rest, they are also to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and they had been redeemed. 
And that was to motivate them and to be a focus in their worship. Two strands that are highlighted on the Sabbath day when they gather. Creation and redemption. You got it? You with me? That's Old Covenant. That's the Sabbath day. Under the Old Covenant, it was a day in which they were to imitate God and to enter into His rest and be refreshed. He was refreshed on the seventh day. It said in Exodus 31, 17, and you have to listen to the tape as to what that means. He didn't take a break. He didn't need to catch his breath that sense, but he refreshed himself by delighting in what he had created. And in Exodus 23 and verse 12, it says, we are to be refreshed. Your servants are to be refreshed on this day. It's a day of refreshment for God's people. This was the old covenant Sabbath. His day of rest after he completed his day of rest after he had completed his redemptive work. We read of in, in Psalm 95 in verse 11. Psalm 95, 11. Enter into my rest. Entering the land is described as entering into God's rest. This is what he's saying. You're going to enter into the land. You're going to enter into that rest. That's David writing in Psalm 95. Joshua was the one who led the people that they might take the land. And Yahweh, your God, gives you rest and will give you this land. But the people of Israel didn't really know the rest. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that they didn't get that rest. And he says, we know we, he didn't because David writes later that you're going to enter into that rest. And so it's still something in the future. But now listen, so I've, I've told you something about what the Old Testament about, but now listen to what the New Testament is saying then about this day. But now the focus of the day is clarified or sharpened in the New Testament. The first day was given to Adam after his creation. But now it's the last Adam the second man who is Lord of the Sabbath. There was benefit on the day, and there was honor to be had on that day. And now Jesus is saying, I'm the one who is to be honored, and I'm the one as Lord of the Sabbath who is to be bestowing the blessing. The Creator Jesus is the Redeemer Jesus. I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit here. Let me just gather myself a minute. So, so look with me at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. We're still looking at this sharpened focus. So in the Old Testament, here's what we see of the blessing. We see God creating this day. We see God setting it aside and God making it a day of refreshment. Now Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He's the second Adam. He is a whole new humanity. This is the day that he has set aside for his people. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, we read, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? Well, it was obviously a term that, G that John's writers would know, because he doesn't explain it. 
And there's no other extent writings where that phrase, the Lord's day, is used that I'm aware of. I think it's used in theological writings somewhere. I think Dr. Bob mentions that in his book. But the fact of the matter is, I, I'm not aware of anywhere that it's used other than here. But somehow the people would know that what that day was. But let's look into this a little bit more closely to see what this day was. We're still trying to sharpen the focus of this day. What is this day now, this first day of the week when we're meeting? What's it supposed to be like and what's it supposed to be about? Well, it's supposed to be about the Lord. It's the Lord's day. And here he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, the word Lord here is a unique word. And bear with me here. The word used here is a unique word. It's only used twice in the whole New Testament. It's used in Greek writings about the Roman Empire. So if you want to talk about the emperor's day, you would use this word. It's an imperial day. Kuriakos. It's an imperial day. It's a Lord's day. You know, this word's only used one other time in the entire New Testament. And I bet if I, if I took a poll, you could probably come up with where it is. If I just said, we're talking about the Lord's day, what else is the Lord's supper? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. When you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's supper. The Lord's supper. What's the supper about? It's all about one person, isn't it? There's, it's all about Jesus. What does he say? Remember me. Remember me. So the sharpened focus, we've been talking about all these things, about what Jesus did and what happened and, and why it happened and things changing to the first day of the week due to the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, due to the outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, uh, of the, the Spirit of God on, the, on people on the day of Pentecost. We've talked about those things happening and how they, how they alter the day to the first day of the week. And now it's called the Lord's Day. It's a day all about the Lord. Well, what day is that? Mark 2, verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord's Day is all about the Lord. Well, who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus. And so it's the day that's all about Jesus. Well, what day is all about Jesus? It's the day that He accomplished our new creation. It's the day in which he died and rose again. And we who believe in him are what? New creatures. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. New creations that never existed before. When did that happen? When he died and rose again. And we are united to him in resurrection life. Romans chapter 6. His being raised from the dead, we are united to him in resurrection life. When he rose from the dead, that was what accomplished that we might be new creation. Redemption. When was redemption accomplished? When Christ died? Partially. When Christ was buried? Partially. When was it satisfied? When was it fulfilled? When he rose again from the dead. What day of the week was that? First day of the week. So what do we celebrate on the first day of the week? Creation and redemption. Sound familiar? The picture is so plain. It's right there. Creation, Exodus chapter 20. Redemption, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Jesus rose from the dead, new creation. Jesus rose from the dead, redeemed. 
This is why the day has changed. Of course the day has changed. Can you imagine anything greater happening in the history of the world than the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, becoming man, living among us, dying, buried, rising again from the grave, and then ascending to the right hand of God and pouring out His Spirit. Can you imagine anything greater? I mean, it is such a great event that until just recently, B.C. A.D., time was divided by that reality. Brethren, when we gather on this day, we gather to commemorate the one who died and rose again. We gather to commemorate not old covenant realities. The Sabbath keeping that we keep, and I've gone, over, gone past Hebrews chapter 4, and I know some of you know about that. We'll come back to that maybe another day somewhere along the line. But here's the point. The fact of the matter is there is still a Sabbath day for us. It's not the seventh day, it's the first day. And it is a glorious day, a day of exquisite delight. It's not the seventh day where we remember the, the old creation and we remember redemption from Egypt. It's the new creation and it's the redemption from sin. Brethren, we have a great and glorious king. This is his day. He should be the focus of our attention on this day. He should be the focus of all of our most exquisite delights on this day. We should not want to put our work boots on this day because Jesus rose from the grave on this day and we want to honor and glorify him. We gather together to enter in, as it were, into a taste of the ultimate rest that we will receive when he returns again. This is the foretaste of heaven on this day. A piece of that rest that we have on this day. It's a day for renewing of our minds, brethren. It's a day for engaging in concentrated battle against sin, brethren. It's a day for bearing with the saints and learning new measures of the boundless love of Christ on this day, brethren. This is the Lord's day, and it is our day in that sense that we might delight in our king. Where else would you want to be than in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The King who was the Lamb who laid down his life for you. When he meets, when he comes, where would you want to be? Giant Stadium? Madison Square Gardens? Indian, Indianapolis? In your garden? At your desk? The King of Kings who rose on the first day that there might be new creatures in Christ. Who rose to deliver us from sin and death and the wrath to come. And he's going to be here every first day of the week, not because Trinity Baptist Church is special in itself, but because it is the place where God's people meet. It's the house of God when we meet together. And he comes to dwell in his house. May God help us to do the heart work that we need to do to delight in our Savior. 
The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we're delighting in him, this is the day when we can have that desire most readily met. I'll end with an illustration I ended yesterday with. Because to me, it kind of captures a lot of what's going on in this world today. One of our great dangers is American, in America is individualism. So I want to imagine here that... Uh, I'm going to turn the tables on you guys. So I want to imagine here, so a wife uh, has said, you know, every, Friday, every Saturday morning is going to be a special time for the family. Nobody has to go to school. Daddy doesn't have to work. Every Saturday morning, I'm going to make a special breakfast for everyone. Every Saturday morning, I'm going to gather everybody together, and we're going to do something special. We're going to have, go out. We're going to enjoy one another's company. We're, we're going to, I've got lots of plans going. And I know some of you women, you, you've got that kind of mind that gets all these ideas going. Mine's too narrow, right? And so this is what we're going to do. Every Saturday morning, this is what we're going to do. Saturday comes along, and, and Dad says, oh, you know, I've got to go to the office. Okay. Oh, well, well, we'll get you next week. Saturday comes along next week. Um, I'm going golfing with my buddies. Uh, okay, well, next Saturday comes along. You know, she's going to get a little bit depressed after a while that, that you just don't really want to get there, right? But then she comes to you and says, honey, honey, we've got these Saturdays. Every Saturday, I'm setting aside this time so that we can come together and enjoy loving one another and, and in fellowshipping together, if, you can, if I can use that term. And he says, but sweetheart, listen, I want you to know Every morning, I get up and I read those love letters you sent me. Remember when we were dating? And you sent those beautiful love letters. They warmed my heart. They just thrilled me. And you sent those letters. And I really, every morning, I read another one. And every morning, I'm just thrilling in the fact that you love me and I love you. And it's you and me there when I'm reading your letters. But I'm just too busy on Saturday. Do you think she's going to be, feel loved by that? Does that satisfy? Brethren, our Savior has sent us some magnificent love letters. And I hope you read them every day. And I hope it thrills your heart to read those letters that He has sent you every day. But He gathers with His people on His day, the first day of the week, for Him to be honored and for Him to pour out His blessings. And just because you've read His letters all week, not going to make up for missing his presence. May God help us to have a renewed desire or God give us a desire to be in his house with his people, with his, our Savior on his day. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, please take your word and write it upon our hearts. We plead for your grace to help us to find exquisite delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.